uh, most notably known as uh, Whitley and Cooper's dad. Uh, I've been a member at Ridgecrest for about 23 years now. Uh, married to Callie for going on 10. Whitley is six, just as sweet as can be. Cooper is three. He's sweet, but also kind of what you'd say, all boy. Uh, been in uh, business doing home remodeling for about 13 years. And so I'm, uh, I'm nervously excited to, to stand before you today and preach God's word. And to, to compound that nervousness, my entire family showed up. <laughs> so just kidding, Mom. I'm, uh, I really am blessed to have a family who um, has influenced my walk with the Lord, um, all the way from grandparents to uh, parents and uh, aunts and uncles and then now into my in-laws and uh, they just continued to help me to encourage me to in that endeavor. Um, last year I had the opportunity to go to Uganda and I called my mom and kind of told her I'd made it safe and uh, that I'd gotten uh, about 36 hours notice that I was going to be preaching when I got there which was would have been the first time I've ever done this, this being the second. A uh, few more people here than there. Uh, so my mom told me a story. She said, I remember when you were a little boy, we were going somewhere like a wedding or something, and I was all dressed up. I had a suit on. And if you remember, back in the 90s, the pastor always wore a suit, right? And she said, you look like you're going to grow up to be a preacher one day. And so I really had no idea that I'd be standing in front of a, a couple hundred people one day sharing God's Word, but you just never know what God has planned for your life uh, when you submit to Him. So today we're going to be in John 15, verses 18 through 27. And John chapters 13 through 17, uh, Jesus is preparing to leave. He's preparing for His crucifixion. So He's, he's sharing with the disciples... Um, what they can expect and what they need to do. Um, here, in these verses today, we're going to see a shift. He's been speaking to the disciples about their relationship with Him, but now He's going to be telling them about their relationship with the world. In 15, 1 through 10, Jesus talks about abiding in Him and how that produces fruit and how the production of fruit glorifies God the Father. If we keep His commandments, we will abide in His love. And as we move into verses 11 through 17, we see that these things were spoken by Him to produce joyfulness. We are called to love as Jesus loved, sacrificially. We see Jesus call the disciples His friends in verse 15. And the precursor to that is obedience to Him, as we see in verse 14. If we obey Christ, we too can be called friend. In verse 17, he says, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And did you catch that last part? Love one another. Jesus is talking about brotherly love, Christian to Christian. Don't miss it, because it's going to be vital to help us get through the words that we're going to hear today. Let's read John 15, 18 through 27. It says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore 
the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So imagine you're a disciple of Jesus. You've given up everything to follow him. You've agreed to serve even to the point of washing feet. And you've loved your fellow brother. Even that guy who always chews with his mouth open. <laughs> Everything should be good, right? <clears throat> nope. Consider what verse 18 says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The conversation has shifted from love to hate. And I think this shift really seems to heighten this aspect of hate. It's not really a matter of if the world's going to hate you, but a matter of when. Christians will be hated not by what they have done wrong, but what they have chosen to do right. And if the world hated Jesus first, we can expect the same. He spoke truth, fed people, performed miracles, and lived without sin. It wasn't enough to stop the hate. We don't stand a chance. So why do they hate him? So we flip back to John 3:19. It says, "And this is the judgment: the light has come into the world." And people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Jesus has exposed the darkness. The fact that a world that loves darkness has been told that they need a Savior is infuriating to them. And we see in John 5, 18, it says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So even those that appeared to be a part of the church are actually of the world and hate him as well. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As Christians, we must believe this. If this were not true, then there would have been no reason for God to leave his throne and come to earth and die on the cross in our place. Because we believe this, the world will hate us as well. We've seen in this past week an example. A man named John Allen Chow, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce the last name, was, went to an, an, an island to reach the Sentinelese people outside of India, and he was killed. And... While that's been a hot topic of debate because those people want to be left alone, what I noticed was as I clicked on the link on Facebook and started reading the comments, I thought, man, that was really encouraging that this man would do that. 
He, he went to this place knowing there was a good possibility of being killed. The comments were not encouraging. Many of the comments said that he deserved what he got, that he should have left these people alone. Many of the comments said that these people don't want his Jesus, that he risked their lives when I believe it was because of their lives that he went to save them. So how do we respond to that kind of hatred? How does his mother or his father, who probably see those comments, respond to that kind of hatred? We must look to Jesus as our example. He shows us how we are to bear up under such persecution and hatred. We have the ability to look ahead and see his example on his way to the cross. He was given the opportunity to stand up for himself, and he stayed silent. He didn't fight back as he was cursed, mocked, beaten, whipped, and even forced to carry his own cross. We must accept and bear this hatred for the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world doesn't have a problem with those who aren't set apart. The world hates the disciples because they've been chosen. Now for some, you hear this word chosen and it it leads you to start to wonder if we have a choice, if anyone has a choice. And this verse isn't talking about predestination or election. What this verse is talking about is that the grace that we receive is undeserved, and it's based on the merits, and we've been chosen based on the merits of Jesus Christ. Regardless of where you stand on that discussion, every one of us was undeserving of God's grace when it was given to us. And the fact that we identify with him now, we are choosing to walk in suffering as he did. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Remember refers back to John 13, 16 where Jesus had just finished washing the disciples' feet. There, identifying with Jesus is spoken of in positive terms. Here, we see it brings persecution. This leads me to wonder, where is my identity? And it should lead you to question the same thing. The disciples' identity was wrapped up so tightly in their relationship to Christ that they could expect similar treatment. So what are you doing to consciously or unconsciously restrict or restrain your faith so as not to be identified with Christ? I'll ask one more time. What are you doing consciously or unconsciously to restrict or restrain your faith so as not to identify with Christ and receive hatred and persecution? We should expect to be persecuted for sharing or outwardly expressing our faith. We see at the end of the verse that some will keep his word. And so that implies that the word was going out. It's not our responsibility to 
determine the response that we receive. That's God's responsibility. But it is our responsibility to go and to share. Here in Texas, in the South, it can be hard for us to understand what true persecution of our faith looks like. If we're honest, we have it pretty good here. I looked up some statistics in the 2018 World Watch list. This is what I found. Just this year, 215 million have been persecuted. One in 12 Christians live where their faith is illegal, forbidden, or punished. 3,066, or plus one more now, 3,067 as of last week, have been killed because of their faith. 1,252 have been abducted. 1,020 have been raped or sexually harassed. And 793 churches have been attacked. I don't know about you, but I had to look all this up. This isn't something I just hear about every day on the news. We usually don't even hear about other parts of the world because we have so much junk to report on our local news stations. My mind goes to South Sudan. That has been a place that's been on my heart, and you don't hear a lot about it. But in 2011, they became an independent nation. They had been persecuted by the northern part of Sudan for many years because they were Christian and the north was Muslim. Now, Empower One, which is the group that I go with to Africa, is training pastors, church leaders, and missionaries to go out and plant churches and spread the gospel. Many of them are going back north to Sudan, which is ranked fourth highest in persecution against Christians. And they were just at war with them a short few years ago. They're literally risking their lives because they believe it's worth it. I was also able to go on another trip this past summer, and it was a heavily populated Muslim area. And we went to a village, and a few of us guys got to spend some time with a couple of men. And I asked the question, what would happen if someone in your village was to convert to Christianity? Their first response was, we would not kill them. How progressive, right? (laughs) Their second response was that they would probably be shunned, they would not be supported, they would be outcasts. And I, I sat there and processed that, and, and really over the, the next couple of weeks after that, and I thought, why was their first response, we would not kill them? I mean, you don't kill somebody because they convert to a different religion. That's just ridiculous, right? We need to pray for our representatives who are there right now, building relationships with these people. We need to pray for a miracle because that's what it's going to take for them to convert. We also need to continue to pray for MCI as they work to reach the lost in the Philippines, which also has a strong Muslim influence. Maybe you could reach out to them, listen to their stories, encourage them, pray for them, and support them. Maybe even support them financially. These are representatives from our body of believers. If you don't know how to get a hold of them, ask me or one of the church staff. And while this aspect of support is extremely important, as we saw earlier in chapter 15, when we're called to love one another, there's another question that we must ask ourselves. 
Do I trust God with my life? Do you? Would you go? Would you even consider to go? One of the most prevalent examples I could think of was the consideration that myself and our family has been dealing with. Six years ago or so, I was in a Christian bookstore here in Greenville, and I was looking for a couple of study Bibles for some guys on my crew. And I came across this book called Another Man's War. Now, at this time, I didn't really enjoy reading for fun. I also didn't have a couple of pastors who just think it's really fun to read like five books at the same time, <laughs> always suggesting I read one. But anyways, there was a guy with an AK-47 on the front, and I thought, man, this could be pretty entertaining. <laughs> and it's at the Christian bookstore, so it ought to have some good content. And so uh, as I read this book, it put Sudan and what's now South Sudan kind of on the map for me. And so this guy, bad dude, um, goes to a tent revival, gets saved, goes with the evangelist to Africa and uh, recognizes that at the time, this was kind of during that time when the North was fighting the South, that the children were left orphaned. Many of them were forced to be child soldiers. And he decided, I got to do something. God wants me to do something. And so he builds an orphanage and he actually fights to protect these children. And the details of what those people go through and the persecution that they received and the, the scare tactics that are used are just purely evil. And so when I finished reading that book, I thought, I just can't put this down and never think about it again. And so I, uh, while fighting and being shot at and going to different countries sounds super scary, um, I thought, what could change that evil? It's got to be Jesus, right? There's nothing Nothing else. So I told my wife, she was a little nervous, talked to a couple of people, a couple of pastors, and uh, got some, you know, advice. Whitley was a baby, and it just didn't seem like the right season of life. So that's kind of where I landed. Just kind of tabled it for a little while. And a few years later, I uh, was feeling convicted about my prayer life, and so I decided to get up early in the mornings and pray. And the first week I did that, guess what popped into my head? South Sudan. So I said, okay, God, that's got to be you because I haven't read that book, haven't even looked at it, haven't thought about it too much. And so I told my wife again, and she probably thought, oh, man, here goes this Africa stuff again. And uh, then I told Matt, I don't know if any of you have ever told Matt an idea, but once you do, he expects it to happen, like, really fast. Um, so he's, like, Googling stuff, and he's like, oh, man, Zach, that looks, looks kind of, doesn't look like a vacation. But he had some contacts. He, he had a guy he knew in Africa. And so anyways, uh, I pursued that over the course of the next year and wound up getting to go last October to Uganda and work and share the gospel with South Sudanese refugees. Um, came back and since then have just endeavored to not restrict God's call in my life. But sometimes it's hard to know what that call means. Do I just con continue to go on short-term trips? Do I take Callie 
Do we take our kids? Should we move there full time? We're not sure. We have a ghostly pale little boy who sunburns in about 10 minutes. <laughs> He's also very attracted to mosquitoes. Malaria is a very serious thing there. Um, what if Willie gets sick from drinking the water? What if Callie has to like kill and gut a live chicken just so we can eat supper? <laughs> these are real considerations. And these don't even come close to the considerations you would see if you were to Google that part of the world. We're not always sure exactly what God's calling us to, but one thing that I do believe He wants us to do is to at the least consider the calling. Are you willing to consider being used as a tool to further the gospel, to bring glory to the Father? As we look back at verse 21, it says, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. I never have been able to understand what is so awful about a God that would leave his throne, take human form, and die on the cross in my place. It sounds like a pretty good, undeserved deal to me. Every other religion requires your own merit to attain salvation. Here, we're called to submit to Jesus, both as our Savior and our Lord. Submit to the one who took our place and experienced the Father's wrath. But verse 21 is saying that it's on account of his name that, he is hated, that we will be hated and that he is hated. They will persecute us because of his name. In the ancient world, a name was very important. It had meaning. Think about how Jesus' name is used today. We're baptized in his name, we're saved in his name, and we pray in his name. Jesus, his name represents the Father. The hatred and persecution that we will receive because of the name of Jesus shows us that the world truly does not know God. As we look to verses 22 through 24, we see a shift from the source of the world's hatred to the judgment of the world, a shift from the disciples' work to Jesus'. Verse 22 says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. The issue of sin didn't start with the arrival of Jesus, but was made apparent with his arrival. Jesus is the true source of the evaluation and condemnation of sin, not the law of Moses. Verse 23 and 24. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did... They would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. Jesus has reasoned with people, shared truth, and performed miracles unlike anyone else, anything anyone had ever seen, and they still don't believe. These works have revealed the character and power of God. They show us in a unique way through Jesus that God is an active God. The world has no excuse for hating Jesus or his followers. Here we see this hatred and unbelief will eventually lead to Jesus' death. Contextually, this refers to the Jews 
but it's not limited to them. We in the world have the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the text to illuminate what has been done for us. Although we see in verse 25 that this hatred is to be expected. 25 says, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. In John 10.34, Jesus references Psalms 82.6 as their law, basically saying that all of the Old Testament was their law. So I'm led to wonder again, why? Why do they hate? It says here, without a cause. All the good he did and all the good we can do will not matter. The world doesn't need a reason to hate him and doesn't need a reason to hate us for following him. When I first started to look over this passage, I wondered how on earth I was going to tie in verses 26 and 27. Because it just kind of felt like everything stopped and then like, what does this mean? But what I think Jesus was trying to do was encourage the disciples and it can be an encouragement for us as well after such hard words. Verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. We talked earlier about the Spirit helping make Jesus known. The term helper here is translated from the word paraclete. The word is used in legal language for an advocate for the defense. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit helps those in the midst of trials. He does the same thing for the disciples as they share the gospel, take his message out into the world, and receive hatred. He also does the same thing for us. The Spirit is the presence and power of God at work in the world. God is, was, and will be His own witness. But He has chosen to use the disciples and us to bear witness of Him with the help of the Holy Spirit. We can face hatred and persecution with confidence, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit with us as we go. As we close, I want to make one thing clear. The passage and the sermon today were meant for normal Christians, not exceptional. For some, you hear this message and you think, that's really unfortunate for those Christians over there. Maybe you even pray for them. But for some reason, we seem to have put missionaries and pastors, church leaders on a pedestal. We all have been called to the same task. To those of us in the room who are believers, we must die to self. I spent a great deal of time today speaking on other parts of the world, but I think that's because we see more examples of hatred and persecution, more obvious examples. But my charge to you is that you would evaluate if you have been restraining your faith here in order to avoid hatred or persecution and to endeavor to not restrict the call of God on your life. And today, if you're here and you have not submitted to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I ask you to consider the high cost of following Jesus. Putting your faith in Jesus is a decision that will bring joy to your life, 
but it will also come at a cost as you finish out this life on earth. During our invitation, I want to invite you to come to the front and pray if you'd like to. You're welcome to come and talk to me if you have questions about your faith or what next steps could look like as you grow in your walk with the Lord. We have church leaders who would be more than happy to pull you aside and walk through whatever you're dealing with or have questions about. Let's pray. God, we come before you today and just thank you. We thank you that we have your spirit. Thank you that he's with us as we take your message to the world. As it's not received well, as we face hatred and persecution. God, we just ask that this word that we've heard today would impact us, that we would apply it to our lives. God, that you would um, change us, grow us. God, we pray for those that don't know you. God, that they would um, consider that cost. God, that they would um, feel that tug and not just sit still. They would, they would go to somebody, that they would look to your word, that they would look to you. God, we just... Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in him. And it's in his name that we pray.